this is when we release our children and volunteers to Children's Church. We'll invite you guys to head back in that direction. do all kind of neat stuff. We just got to teach them to speak up a little bit. <laughs> I know it's scary, though. I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. I get nervous trying to talk in front of people. Well, hey, if, uh, if you have your Bible, if you will, turn to Matthew chapter 5. And I, I hope you have your Bible in some form, either electronic or uh, a, a, a physical copy or whatever. But uh, we're gathered here to, to worship God and, and to, to study His Word together. Uh, so I, I hope you, you have your copy. We're, we're looking at um, the Sermon on the Mount where uh, Jesus has been preaching and has called his disciples and, and he's uh, been going around healing people and doing all kinds of miraculous things and there's a huge crowd following him. And, and so uh, because his uh, popularity is growing uh, and because the disciples are seeing all these amazing things that he is doing, uh, he decides it's time to let them know what it means to be a disciple. What does a follower of mine, what does a disciple of Christ, what is, what is the meaning of believing in this Messiah that uh, you are beginning to understand I am? And so he's been teaching them what it means to be a follower. And, and so he began with the Beatitudes. These are the attitudes you need to have as a follower, understanding that, that you are um, you are spiritually dead. You are spiritually bankrupt, and, and and you need to mourn over your sin, and and you need to be a peacemaker. There's a whole lot of things that are wrapped up, and we spend a lot of time walking through those beatitudes, and and then he 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 began to talk about what those attitudes, how they manifest themselves in our lives, and and he reminded them in the first part of of uh, uh, that next section of, of the, the sermon, he began to teach them that you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. And what does that mean? And, and we finished up last week on one of the, the most important um, descriptions of what it means to be a follower of Christ. That, that we are supposed to have a, a righteousness that's, that's much different than the righteousness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Remember, Pharisees and Sadducees are the most religious people they know. They, the Pharisees and Sadducees have set them up as the standard for everyone else to follow. Uh, and, and Jesus said that, that unless your righteousness, unless your actions, this, these good works that you're supposed to be doing in such a way that glorify the Father... Unless your righteousness is greater than, different from the righteousness of the Pharisees and Sadducees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what did he describe the righteousness of a believer? He said, okay, there, the, it must exceed, is the word he used, or it's translated uh, in some of the translation. Mine says surpass. It must surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So he described it, he qualified our righteousness as an exceeding or a surpassing righteousness, different, uh, much more than just what the Pharisees identified. And, and, and in his next section, he's going to start talking about giving some practical examples of what a, an exceeding or a surpassing righteousness looks like. What does it mean to, to have your righteousness, this 
your righteous actions, the right actions of your life to be greater than the Pharisees and Sadducees. Remember when he was talking uh, a little bit later on as he confronted the, 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 the Pharisees, he described them as whitewashed tombs. Look really good on the outside, but on the inside, you're still full of dead men's bones. Look good on the outside, but spiritually, you're still dead as a doornail. There, there's no life in you. Because their, their, their idea of righteousness was just keep the law. And, and it sounds good on the outside, but what it boiled down to, okay, what is the minimum we can do to keep the law? We've got to keep the letter of the law, and all we've got to do is keep the letter of the law, and what's the minimum we can do? And so Jesus began to confront some of these, their attitudes towards the Ten Commandments, but also the teachings that took place in Leviticus and, and other places. So he's going to address some of these things that, that they said, well, if I just don't do this, I'm okay. And he starts out with a doozy. And so if you will uh, find verse 21 of chapter 5, and, and, and in this next section or this next part of teaching, he uses the, the phrase often, you have heard it said. You have heard it said, but I say. And so he's going to begin to explain the, the difference between what you've heard and what God intends. The difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. The difference between an outward righteousness and a righteousness produced by the love of God in your heart. Remember we said uh, last week that, that a surpassing righteousness has one characteristic that separates it from the righteousness of the Pharisees and Sadducees. It's love. Greatest commandment. Jesus was asked, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbors yourself. So a surpassing or an exceeding righteousness is one that's motivated by love, not by duty. That was one of the most important points we made last week. Surpassing righteousness, exceeding righteousness, is a righteousness produced by love, love of God and love for people, not duty. Pharisees did what they did because of duty. Many of us do what we do because of duty. It's not, it's not generated by the love of God, the reciprocal love. He first loved us, so therefore we love him in return. He loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He sacrificed for us, but we don't sacrifice for him. We're still doing it out of duty. That's why, that's why it's so hard sometimes to be a follower of Christ because we're doing it out of duty. Jesus put it this way. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. One of the, the apostles, and I can't remember one, and I apologize for this, but, but he says, look, if you, if you love God, then keeping his commandments will, will not be burdensome. Because love makes it easy to sacrifice. Love makes it easy to obey. It's just an overflow of our response to the love that we've received. So he begins to teach the difference between duty and love, the difference between an outward righteousness and an exceeding or surpassing righteousness. If you would stand with me, we're going to again in verse 21, we're going to read down through verse 26. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. 
But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go to the fiery hell. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. You may be seated. Here, Jesus quotes the sixth commandment. You shall not commit murder. And we all agree, you, you shouldn't commit murder. And, and so the, the Pharisees and, and us, the normal thinking of a, a human being, even though we're trying to honor God, we want, we want to do what God says. We believe that he's real. Well, what's the least that I can do to keep that commandment? Well, as long as I don't kill somebody. So as long as I can do whatever I want to, I can feel any way I want to, I can say anything I want to say about a person to a person or treat them any way I want to as long as I don't pull the trigger. Basically, that's what the Pharisees said. As long as I don't kill them, I'm okay. And we think, look, you know, but we treat, we, we're the same way. As long as I don't kill them, I don't have to like them. I don't have to love them. I don't have to treat them nice. I just can't kill them. I've been guilty saying this before with my wife, and my wife has been guilty of saying it before about me. Man, I just can't kill them. <laughs> right now, I'd like to, but I just can't kill her. And she said that before about me. Well, I just, I, I, he's driving me nuts, but I just can't kill him. And we, we look at a lot of people that way, and we treat people that way. As long as I don't kill them, I'm okay. As long, as long as I don't take their life, I'm okay. Jesus said, look, that's the letter of the law. Yeah, don't commit murder, and we should not commit murder. But he begins to explain, look, the sins that lead to murder begin way before the pulling of the trigger or the stabbing of the knife or the choking them out physically. The sin begins way before that. He said, if we're going to have a righteousness that exceeds a surpassing righteousness, a righteousness that's motivated by love, not by duty, then when we love God, we'll love people. And when we love people, love does no wrong. Love doesn't harm. Read chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. That love chapter that describes what love looks like and what it, what, how it treats people. And so Jesus says, you've heard the ancients were told. You, you've heard the sixth commandment, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder is liable, is guilty before the court. We understand that if you commit murder, then, then you should be judged according to that offense, according to that, um, that act. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Everyone who 
says to his brother, you good for nothing shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go to fiery hell. So he says, look, there is a level of guilt with how we speak to people and how we feel about people and how we treat people. Remember Paul tells us that we, speaking to the church, we're going to give an account for every careless word we've spoken. We're going to give an account of every deed, whether good or bad, that we've committed. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to go to hell because we did some bad things or said some bad things, but we are going to give an account for it. We're forgiven the condemnation of our sin, but we're not forgiven the responsibility of our sin. We think just because we're covered with grace, we're a child of God, we love Jesus, and that, that, that oh, I've sinned, and now I, God casts as far as the east is from the west, and he'll remember it no more. He's not going to hold us guilty for it anymore. But we're going to have to give an account. That's biblical. We're going to have to answer for the way we treated people. We're going to have to answer for the words that we say. We're going to have to answer for the opportunities that we wasted or we're going to have to answer for the ones that we did well. I don't know about you, but that's a scary thought. Because we have presumed on God's grace way too much. And thinking, well, I can say what I want to as long as I don't kill them. I'm okay. I, I, can, I can have the opinion of them, how, whatever I want to have of them. As long as I don't kill them, I'm okay. Grace covers. But Jesus said, no, if you're going to have a surpassing grace, a grace that's motivated by a reciprocal love, you have been loved by me. I have chosen to love you. You didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do anything to, to make yourself lovable before me. I just simply chose to love you and die for you. While you were yet sinners, I died for you. And so if we're going to reciprocate that same love to him, he says we are to do it by loving our neighbor as ourselves. And if we're going to have this exceeding righteousness, which we must have as a follower of Christ, if we're going to be salt and light, if we're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, we have to have an exceeding righteousness. Doesn't mean we're earning our way to heaven, but later on in this same uh, sermon, he says, you'll know the tree by the fruit it bears. All throughout, even later on in another place, he says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does, the one who has that surpassing righteousness, the will of my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is challenging their idea of what it means to be righteous or right with God. That's what righteousness means. We're, we're acting righteously because we're right with God. And so he says, if you, if you hate your brother, if you talk derogatory toward your brother, or if you have a negative attitude toward your brother, he says you're guilty of sin. That's, that's tough. Is you're still guilty before a righteous judge. Because that's not a surpassing 
righteousness. That's not a surpassing love for people. So how do we combat that? How do we overcome? How do we let the Holy Spirit transform our hearts and our lives? How do we live this surpassing righteousness in a world full of people that hate God, that, that just get on our nerves, people that do stupid things, people that, that do things intentional, some people do it unintentional, some people, they're just, they just get on your nerves. Just being real, I'm being honest, I'm human just like you. So how do, we, how do we let the Spirit of God develop this righteousness that surpasses just duty? Just doing the minimal we can do, that goes beyond, that becomes salt and light, that becomes uh, the character of a person who does things that glorify God, not just look good on the outside. Well, I want us to begin with the first thing, the first step is understanding where anger comes from. You know why most of us get angry? It's not because somebody has offended God's holiness. It's not because somebody has done something that, that is morally wrong. Most of the time, most anger that we face comes from pride. You've offended my sensibilities. You've offended me. Not that you've offended God. Not that you're not doing what, what, what God tells you. Most of the time we get angry because they've offended me. It's pride. And we need to understand the, the root of most anger. Most of the times we get mad at somebody else because they didn't do things like we thought they should do it. They didn't say what we thought they should say. They said something that we took personally. It's pride that produces most of our anger. And when we get angry, we tend to forget that we're just like them. We're sinners. Just like sometimes we say stupid stuff. Sometimes we do stupid things. Sometimes we offend other people because we're not doing much right. And, and if we're going to honor God, if we're going to be a follower of God, if we're going to have a surpassing righteousness, when we see other people, we've got, to, we've got to see ourselves as sinners, just like they're sinners. But secondly, we also have to see them as ones who are made in the image of God. All of us, every human being is an image bearer of God. When God created Adam and Eve, he said, let us make man in our image. So there is no one that's ever born that is not an image bearer of God. Now, let's get this straight. Not everyone are children of God. You'll hear people say all the time, well, we're all children of God. Nope, not unless you've been born again. You're an image bearer of God. And God loves you. But you're still an enemy of God. Unless you've accepted his gift of salvation, surrendered your heart and your life to him. Uh, that's how you are born and adopted into the family of God. So we, as believers, are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all children of God. But every human being is an image bearer of God and the object of God's love. 
And so what we have to continually remind ourselves is God loves me, not because I'm good, because he chose to love me. This person that's making you angry, this person that is not doing what you think they should be doing, this person is not living like you think they should live, this person is saying things that you don't like, they are still an image bearer of God. And they are loved by God. Jesus died for them just like he died for you. So we need to see our sinfulness in them. We need to see the image of God in them. And we need to see the love of God for them. Because when we begin to get angry and we lose sight of the image of God in them, we lose sight of their need for salvation, we lose sight of the love of God for them, then we begin to make them less than, and then it's okay to treat them poorly. It's very simple. If you just look back in history, what did the Germans do to the Jews before they ever put one in a concentration camp? They identified them as less than. What did, what did, what did or, or has all over history, including our own history, what is it that people do before they enslave someone else? They identify them as they're subhuman. They're not people. They're like animals. And so therefore, it's, it's okay to treat them like animals. We don't have to treat them as human. We don't have to treat them as image bearers of God. We don't have to treat them as one who is loved by God. And so whatever we do to them is okay because they're less than. And, and, and when, when we start getting angry at people and when we start having a, a, a bad attitude towards people, because, maybe because of their behavior, maybe they're acting foolishly maybe they're living out sin in their life and they're not honoring god don't care about god and are even uh, uh anti-god vocally actions and everything when we start getting angry with them if you'll be honest and check your attitude you'll start seeing them as less than that's why you can be angry with them that's why you can talk bad about them that's why you can not care about them that's why you cannot love them that's why you cannot be kind to them because they're less than It's the normal way that we move to that level, especially as Christians. And so Jesus says, if you're, if you're angry with someone and you're talking slanderously about them and you're belittling them and you're biased towards them, it's because you have lost sight of their, the image of God that they bear. You have lost sight of the fact that you, they're loved by God. Jesus came to die for them and just like he came to die for you. And we're called to be salt and light in their life. And then he goes on. Therefore, if, if, if we're guilty before the courts, if, 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 if these actions and attitudes are sin, he says, okay, this, this, this is what the importance is. He says, therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar... Now, what's the purpose of the altering? offering? It's an act of contrition. It's an act of, of coming and seeking the forgiveness of God. It's an act of acknowledging my sinfulness and need for forgiveness. 
He says, if you come and you're presenting your offering at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, in other words, you have done something, you have said something, you have treated someone else poorly. It's not that they think you have, it's that you know you have. He says, leave your offering at the altar. Go and be reconciled to your brother then come present your offering. Now, what's the importance of that? If, we, if we're going to talk about it today, we come to church. We, we, we want to worship God. We want to sing to God. We want to meet with God. We want to hear from God. We want to be changed by God. We want to get right with God. Jesus is saying you can't be right with God and not be right with people. Our relationship with people directly infects or affects our relationship with God. Another place he says, if you're not willing to forgive the sins of your brother, your heavenly father will not forgive your sins. If you're holding on to bitterness and anger, if you're holding on to bad attitudes, and you know that they're wrong, but yet, you're not willing to repent of those. Jesus says you can't be right with God. See, surpassing righteousness is not just being right with God, it's being right with other people as best you can. What is it Paul says? And as much as it is left up to you, and as much as it is your ability, be at peace with all people. That doesn't mean everybody's going to like you. Doesn't mean everybody's going to treat you well. But what we're held responsible for is how we treat them. And Jesus says, you cannot. A surpassing righteousness is not just being right with God and coming and presenting your offerings and, and asking for forgiveness for your sins from God. He says, surpassing righteousness does everything they can to be right with other people. And when we fail... We ask for forgiveness. We acknowledge our sin. We acknowledge our need. And we ask for forgiveness. Whether they give it or not. We need to have a, a humble attitude. Not just towards God, but towards people. And understanding that, that we're all sinners. People are going to say things they shouldn't say. People are going to do things they shouldn't do. Even Christians. Jesus says you can't be right with the Father if you're not willing to be right and do your part to be right with people. That's a surpassing righteousness. Anybody can come to church. Anybody can read their Bible. Anybody can, can, can pray. Pharisees did it all the time. But they also stole the homes of orphans and widows. They also cheated people in business dealings. They didn't kill them. So if we're going to develop this surpassing righteousness, there's four things. We've already talked about a couple of them. Four things we need to keep in mind. Number one, anger is usually produced from pride. Next time you get angry at somebody, start, start really looking at it. Start really inspecting. Why am I mad? 
why is this making, why, why am I letting this anger me? Now, I have learned and I've tried to live by, and I try to remind you often, no one can make you mad. Your anger is not anyone else's responsibility. You get mad because you choose to get mad at whatever they've said or whatever they've done. You can choose not to get mad. Your initial reaction, may the anger may well up. But then you've got a choice. As soon as that anger starts rising, you've got a choice to decide, am I going to let this anger take over or am I going to look at the situation and say, you know, give them the grace that I want from God, to give them the mercy that I want from God, to see them as a sinner like I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness all the time. I say things I shouldn't say and, and, and give them grace. The same thing we want from God, God expects us to give to other people. And if we're not willing to give those things to other people, God says, I will not give them to you. And so at that moment, when that initial reaction of anger happens, we've got a choice. Am I going to let this anger come out and am I going to explode? Am I going to treat them poorly? Am I going to speak poorly about them? Am I going to slander them? Am I going to think poorly of them from now on, or am I going to give them the grace that I need from God? And understand that we're, we're all sinners. We all mess up. And they need the same grace I need. Anger is a product of our pride. Second thing we need to remember is we're all made in the image of God. And we need to give them the respect, the grace. We need to see and look for the image of God in them. We need to remind ourselves that we uh, are just like them. We bear the image of God. Jesus died for them just like Jesus died for us. They need forgiveness just like we need forgiveness. They need God's mercy just like we need God's mercy. And, and then we can share that with them. Third thing we need to remember is we all sin and need forgiveness. We all sin and need forgiveness. Both from God and from other people. And our greatest obstacle to admitting our sin, taking responsibility for our sin and asking for forgiveness, again, is pride. You know when you said something you shouldn't say. You know when you got an attitude that doesn't reflect the love of God in your life. You know when you said things you shouldn't say. And when you're convicted of that, you are responsible for repenting of that. Not just to God, but to those that you said it to. Those that you treated that way. We all sin and need forgiveness. Both from God and from people. The fourth thing, and this, this, is, this is something that, that we have not taught much in church and we haven't, we haven't dwelt on it, we haven't lived it out, we cannot be right with God when we're not willing to be right with people. James put it this way, you can't say you love God and yet hate your brother. 
Doesn't mean you admit that you hate him. But you live like you hate him. Your attitude demonstrates hate. We are called to a surpassing and exceeding righteousness. Christian, that's what you signed up for when you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and the Holy Spirit to indwell you. You asked for the requirement, the necessity, the willingness to live a surpassing righteousness. Not just to do the things that you do out of duty, but do everything you do. Let every word be seasoned with salt. Let every word be seasoned with grace. Let every action be modified by your relationship with the Lord. Every thought taken captive for the glory of God. That's what it means be a follower of Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're like me. I've had to do some repenting when I began to understand this. Not just from God, but from people. I've had to ask for forgiveness from folks that didn't know I'd even messed up. Because I had a bad attitude towards them and didn't treat them like they should have been treated by a person who loved the Lord. Doesn't mean that I was okay with their sin. Doesn't mean that, that, that I didn't call sin, sin. Or, but what I was responsible for was my attitude towards them because of it. My actions towards them because of it. Maybe today, God's reminding you of some actions, some thoughts, some attitudes that you need to repent of, not just to Him. Maybe it's to a spouse, maybe it's to a parent, maybe it's to a co-worker or an acquaintance, maybe it's to a doctor that told you something you didn't want to hear. <laughs> maybe it's to somebody at Walmart, because they were the only cashier open, and you were aggravated, and you were in a hurry, and you just unloaded on them. See, we're, we're called to something greater. And church, until we are, are, are convinced of that, until we start living that out, we will never be the salt and light that God saved us to be. We'll never have the witness. We'll never have uh, the respect of our community unless we start living out a surpassing righteousness. And the church starts becoming more than a place we go, but who we are. And the things that I want God to pour out on my life, I've got to be willing to pour out on others. The grace that I know I need from Him... I've got to start giving that grace to them. The mercy that I know I need from Him, I need to start giving that mercy to others. That's why, that's why in Micah chapter 6, 
Micah says, what is it that God expects of you, O man? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And we can't do justice until we're willing to sacrifice. We can't love mercy until we're willing to give mercy. And we can't walk humbly with our God unless we walk humbly with other people. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, I want you to know God loves you. You are an image bearer of God and he sent his son to die on the cross so that you would be forgiven of your sins, so that you could live differently than you were before, so that you could experience his grace, his love, his mercy, the promises that are in the Bible, eternity with him in heaven. You could live, live life full of hope and joy and peace and confidence. No matter what's going on in the world around you. Jesus died for you. But he will not force you into a relationship. He'll invite you. But one day, the invitation is going to be over. Then he will judge. Then you'll be in danger of hell. Church, let's be the church. Let's live this exceeding righteousness, this surpassing righteousness. Let's live like God's real. Let's stand.